You want to know the fastest way to get a room full of Christians to study the top of their shoes? Just ask them, how is your prayer life? So, how is your prayer life? Yeah, every head bowed and every eye closed. (laughs) Prayer is a great challenge. Any honest Christian would admit this. Your pastor admits it. That, that little illustration would work in a room full of pastors, too, and a room full of missionaries and seminary students. <laughs> Prayer is uh, probably the most difficult thing we do as Christians. To pray biblically, to pray fervently, to pray regularly. I find it much easier to read a book, listen to a sermon, read my Bible, go to Bible studies. Sing praises to God in church. All of these things I find much easier than going into my prayer closet and spending quality, real time with the Lord in undistracted devotion to Him, right? It is a great, great challenge. I'm going to preach this morning on prayer, and I will confess to you as I begin that it hasn't been a great week of prayer for me, even anticipating this sermon. I would probably give myself a C- minus this week as far as my prayer life goes. I want us to be encouraged this morning because I think the Lord wants us to be encouraged. I think when it comes to the challenge of prayer, just like everything else in our life, Jesus understood and Jesus understands. As the Sermon on the Mount takes up once again the subject of prayer, The tone of the preacher changes. And I want to show you this before I read the text to you this morning. If you'll go with me to the Sermon on the Mount, beginning in Matthew chapter 5. And I want us to just feel and sense the tone of the preacher and the change of gears that it will undergo. If we were to look at chapter 5 and verse 20, where he says, For I say to you, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. That's heavy. That's weighty. That's a, that's a serious and very sobering and alarming statement and tone to go with it. Or if we went to chapter 6 and verse 1. Beware of practicing your righteousness before men to be noticed by them. Otherwise, you have no reward with your Father who is in heaven. Or verse 19. And these prohibitions, these negative commands, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. Verse 25, for this reason I say to you, do not be worried about your life as to what you will eat or what you will drink, nor for your body as to what you will put on. Is not life more than food and your body more than clothing? We drop down to chapter 7 in verse 1. Do not judge, so you will not be judged. And 7 verse 5. You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye. And then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. You sense the tone of all of these. In verse 6, another prohibition, another negative command. Do not give what is holy to dogs and do not throw your pearls before swine. But now the tone of the preacher will change to these warm words, these comforting words, these encouraging and inspiring words, these positive commands, beginning in verse 7. Ask, and it will be given to you. 
Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. And he who seeks finds. And to him who knocks it will be opened. Or what man is there among you who, when his son asks for a loaf, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, he will not give him a snake, will he? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give what is good to those who ask him? The text idea this morning is obviously prayer, but what kind of prayer? How would we describe the prayer that Jesus is speaking of here in these words? That brings us to the full sentence of the text idea. Here it is, using promises and illustrations. Jesus encourages those who know God as your heavenly Father to practice believing prayer. What kind of prayer this morning? Believing prayer. And that's the title. That's the text idea. And so the purpose of this sermon is that this sermon, by God's grace and by His Spirit, would produce more believing prayer in this church. In this church corporately, in this church in families, in this church in couples, in this church privately and secretly. Believing prayer would increase and grow and flourish in our midst. Confident prayer. Trusting prayer, believing prayer, that is the purpose then of this sermon. But then the question that the text raises is this, how does Jesus encourage believing prayer? He uses three ways, and that's your outline this morning. There are three ways here that he encourages believing prayer in our lives. The first one is simply, he uses repeated commands. He uses repeated Commands, verse 7. We might call this the just do it way of encouraging prayer. Three rapid fire commands. Ask, seek, and knock. These are all three commands calling for continuous action, ongoing action. Literally, we could translate this, keep asking, keep seeking, and keep knocking. If you haven't started, you need to start now and never stop. Three imperatives then, buried there in verse 7. Of course, not with meaningless repetition. We've already learned that, right? We are to keep asking, keep seeking, keep knocking, but not with meaningless repetition, but with a heart that's fired up with faith and, and belief in God to answer. Ask, seek, knock, Jesus commands us. Jesus pleads with us. Jesus exhorts us. Jesus calls us, Jesus invites us here to a life of prayer, a prayerful life of obedience, in fact. Now, these three words are a lot like me, myself, and I. They're really saying the same thing in three different ways, and yet they are nuanced somewhat. Ask relates to the fact that we need to verbalize it. We need to put it into words. He's saying, speak to your Father. Voice your request to your Heavenly Father. Ask. Can you just see the Lord here on this mountainside, this hillside with His disciples? It's almost as He's pleading them. He knows God. He knows them. He knows God better than they do, of course. He knows Him perfectly. And He knows His character. He knows His kindness. And Jesus, 
Ask. He's just pleading with them. Ask. Speak, he says, to your Father. Seek is nuanced in this sense. Seek speaks of the pursuing, the longing for, the desire that should be in our prayers. It is the seek that gets the how fervent our prayers ought to be. Yearn, he's saying. So don't just voice it, but seek it, yearn for it, long for it, and then knock. Knock is that idea of not not barging in arrogantly and kicking the door down, right? But this persistent, this polite persistence until someone comes to the door. <laughs> it's just, I, I'm just not going away. And you just keep on knocking, he's saying. Because he knows that his father is inclined to answer and to be found and to open the door. This is the heart of God for his children. This is his character toward us. Now, I want you to notice in these three commands, Jesus does not tell us what to ask for, does he? He does not tell us what to seek and he does not tell us what door to knock on. He leaves it wide open. But the illustration that follows gives us a hint, a very strong hint. The illustration that follows is a kid asking for lunch. It's a child asking for food. And so the illustration tells us that what we're asking for and what we're seeking and what we're knocking on is basically our daily, ordinary needs. That is the, that is the primary focus of, the, of these commands here. Ask God for your daily, ordinary needs. Do you have needs? Do you have needs? Please answer me. Yes, Yes. (laughs) of course you do. Everyone in here has needs. I don't care what your status in life is, what your position in life is. We all walk in here with a laundry list of needs. Some of them we're really not aware of, but we all have needs. And Jesus is saying, persist in prayer. About your needs. Pray without ceasing about your needs. Bring these to God. You know, beloved, this is why we should see need, every need that comes into our life as a blessing. Every need that God brings providentially into our life is a great blessing because it sends us to our needs. And if we didn't have needs, we wouldn't be praying. And so God in His kindness, God in His goodness to us brings these needs to our attention, brings them to our life. Health needs, financial needs, marital needs, parenting needs, business needs, energy needs, motivation needs. Our country has needs. Our world has needs. So here He uses repeated commands to encourage us to the practice of believing prayer. Stop talking about it and pray. Stop complaining and pray. Stop arguing about it and pray about it. Why is it that the most important thing, the thing we should do first, we so often do last? (laughs) Let's stop worrying and let's pray. I love the movie Apollo 13. This goes back a few years. It's a great movie. There's a great scene. There's a lot of great scenes, a lot of great lines. But there's one particular scene where the problem was 
uh, still trying to be discovered as to what was going on on the spaceship. And, and it's that scene there in Houston and Mission Control. And, and they're beginning to, the engineers are kind of at their wits end. And they're start, there's a lot of tension and stress in the room and worry, of course. And they're starting to argue with each other. And it's just, they're about to just kind of lose control both in Houston <laughs> and in space. And, and that commander there of that room, I remember this line. He says to the men there, he says, men, work the problem. Work the problem to just trying to refocus the group on what was really needed in that moment. And I really think of that illustration when it comes to our life and our needs and our problems. Prayer is how we work the problem. Prayer is how we work the problem and it's how problems get solved. So number one, Jesus uses repeated commands. But that's not the real weight and burden of this text, is it? The second way that he encourages believing prayer is he uses repeated promises. He uses repeated promises. Go back to the text with me in verse 7 and verse 8. And he says there, the command, ask and it will be given to you, promise. Seek and you will find, promise. Knock and it will be opened to you, promise. Then verse 8, for everyone who asks, what? Receives, that's a promise. And he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks, it will be opened. There are six promises, three commands. The promises double up the commands here in this text. And this is the real weight of this text. He wants to encourage us by telling us that there are guaranteed results to our prayers. God answers every prayer. God hears every prayer. And so we might call this second way that he encourages believing prayer the way of guaranteed results. The way of guaranteed results. If you're like me, you know that it is very easy to feel like prayer is a waste of time. I mean, we get our to-do list, you know, we got tasks, we want to see, we want to see the fruit of our efforts and our labor. We want to see things accomplished. Big and small. And it just so often feels like in life, doesn't it? That prayer, I mean, let's be honest. It often feels like a waste of time. We don't see immediate results. We don't feel immediate results. And we can think that we're just, man, I need to get bit. I need to get to it. I need to go do something instead of just sitting here doing nothing but talking. Right? Just talking. And that's, that's the reality. We would pray more if we didn't feel like prayer was a waste of time. That's the absolute truth of the matter. And, and the really convicting reality of it is this. A lot of what we do, listen to me now, a lot of what we do while we think prayer is a waste of time, what we're doing is what's actually the waste of time, right? This is why Hudson Taylor had this great quote. When man works... Man works. When man prays, God works. When man works, man works. When man prays, God works. I love that. Spurgeon put it this way, we know not what prayer cannot do. We know not what prayer cannot do. And then Spurgeon also had this famous quote on prayer. He said, prayer is the slender nerve that moves the muscle of omnipotence. Here was Spurgeon 
as Calvinistic as anyone has ever been, who believe the doctrines of grace as much as any man has ever believed them, who preach the sovereignty of God over all of life as much as any man has ever preached the sovereignty of God. And he says, prayer is the slender nerve that moves the muscle of omnipotence. That's believing prayer. That's a man who believed in the promise of Jesus Christ. Everyone, verse 8, everyone who asks, present tense, continuous action, receives. And he who seeks, who pursues, who yearns for, who longs for, finds what he's seeking. And to him who knocks on the door, that door will be open. Future tense. No promise of exactly when. Just the promise that it will be. So the second way that we are encouraged, the second way we're encouraged to believing prayer is the promise of God through Christ. Do you trust his word? Do you stand on his promises? We need to stand on the promises when we go into prayer and let these fuel our fire. Let them prime the pump when we feel like not praying. When we feel like prayer is a waste of time, let us go back to the word of God and challenge our hearts and preach to ourselves. Do I believe these verses and put them into action? Let me give you an application before we move on on how you can um, embrace these promises of Christ. We need to marry these promises. We need to marry these promises with Matthew 6.33. So turn the page if you need to. And look at Matthew 6, 33. And let's take everything we've heard so far in this sermon, the repeated commands and the repeated promises, and let's marry it to this statement of Jesus. But seek first His kingdom and His righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. All these things spoke of food, clothing, and shelter. Food, water, and clothing there in the context. Look at these words, very similar. Seek, seek first His kingdom and His righteousness. Seek and you will find. And so here in verse 33 is a lifestyle, is is calling for action, is calling for priority, is calling for making God number one in your life. Making God number one in your spending. Making God number one in your recreation. Making God number one on your Sunday mornings. Making God number one in your family. Making God number one in your vocation. Making God number one in your education. Alright, this is calling us to the preeminence of Christ over every area of our life. Over sleep, over diet, over exercise, over relationships, over screen time, over social media. Seek first, seek as a priority His kingdom, His rule, His reign, His righteousness. And all these things you need, disciple, everything you need in your life, child of God, will be added unto you. You take care of this and God will take care of the rest. Let's marry this statement, this promise to ask and you will receive. Jesus here in our text is talking about the ordinary needs of a disciple. And so in another sense, we need to live out what we pray. We need to live out what we pray. The third way that Jesus encourages us to believing prayer is he uses A lesser to greater argument. So go back with me to our text, verses 9 to 11. And this is what's called a lesser to greater argument. It's airtight logic here, folks. 
I'll, I'll put it this way. This third way is your father in heaven is better than your father on earth. <laughs> That's the airtight logic. What man is there among you when his son asks for a loaf of bread, gives him a stone? You see, he's going to use a, a shocking illustration. In some ways, it's actually absurd uh, illustration of very cruel and mean parents, really abusive, uh, sadistic parents here is the illustration. And so you've got a child sitting there at the table and the child is hungry and asks, Daddy, Papa, can I have a loaf? Can I have a piece of bread or a loaf of bread? And the father, this cruel father, comes to the table with a stone that resembles bread. Same size, same color, same look. It's like, yeah, son, here's your breakfast. Chew on this. Break your teeth on this stone. Cruelty. The next is even more so. Or, you see, these are the two staples in their diet, bread and fish. If he asked for a fish, they were small fish. He asked for a fish, he will not give him a snake, will he? Can you imagine a child sitting at the table? Papa comes from behind and sets the plate down with a live snake on it. Mocking that child's hunger. Mocking that child's need. A snake that bites back. Or maybe he has in mind here an eel that looks like a fish. A young child might not even be able to discern the difference. What? Man among... This is a rhetorical question. They would, they would gasp in horror at such a man. They would say, no one among us would do that to their children. Verse 11. If you then... Look at this. Being evil... You want a proof text for total depravity? Right there it is. The very parent giving the child what the child needs, Jesus characterizes in a state of evil. Wickedness, fallenness, brokenness. If you then, Jewish disciple listening to this sermon, being evil by nature. He's honing in on the sinful nature of every single parent that has ever lived. If you then being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, because you would never do what I just illustrated, how much more, how much more will your father, your heavenly father, give good to those who ask him? We are evil. He is infinitely good. We are evil. He is righteous. We are evil. He is faithful. We are unbelieving. He is a constant rock of salvation. And here he doesn't refer to him as God in heaven, your father who is in heaven. He is not like your earthly father. He is infinitely better than your earthly father. How much more, Jesus says. Oh, how he encourages us here to believing prayer, to confident prayer. James echoed this. Every good thing given and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shifting shadow. You see, with us there is variation. With us there is shifting shadow. With us there is darkness. There is cruelty. There is the potential for meanness toward our kids, but not our Heavenly Father. Oh, no. 
He, he is the father of all creation. Every good thing we've ever experienced, every perfect gift we've ever received in our entire life has come from his hand. We got a track record here with him. We've got history with him. We just look back in the rearview mirror and say, oh, my God has supplied all of my needs. Why will he ever fail me now? You see, what is going on here is believing prayer is rooted in the character of God. It's not rooted in our performance. It's not rooted in the polish of our words or our rote religion or our memorized prayers. That's what not makes prayer effective. That's not believing prayer. Believing prayer is rooted in the goodness of our Father who loved us before we loved Him and who cares for us and who knows what we need before we even ask. Right? We've already learned that in the Sermon on the Mount. Your Father knows your needs before you ask. He is a good, good Father. And he gives good, good, good to those who ask, seek, and knock. This is the God we love. This is the God we serve. He's not against us. He's for us. He is our friend. He is our Papa. He is our Abba, Father. And he will give us everything we will ever need in this life. And I did not say everything we would ever want. He's not about giving us everything we want because he loves us. What loving parent gives the child more candy, more screen time, more video games when they ask? No, at some point the parent says no. No, because I love you. No, because that's not good for you. You don't need more toys. You don't need more TV. You don't need more candy. God says no to us sometimes because we're asking from our flesh. We're asking from a standpoint of wants. And God says no. And I'm saying no because I love you. And that's not what you need. But he never says no to our needs. I came across this quote this week listening to a podcast on prayer. I love this. The pastor there in the interview said, If we knew everything God knows, and if we were as good as God, we'd agree with every answer to our prayers. If we knew everything that God knows, and if we were as good as God, we would agree with every single answer. So listen, when we see a promise like this from Jesus, we see a promise like this in the Word of God. This is not proof text for name it, claim it. This is not God is your cosmic bellhop. Go ask him for whatever you want. He's obligated to give it to you as if you control God. It's not what this is. This is not, you know, heaven is my grub hub. Yeah, right? And prayer is clicking on the order button. I want to see the goods delivered. That's not what this is. This is the disciple trusting God for daily needs. Like the child trusting Papa to put food on the table. Keep in mind, it's always about needs and not wants. So three ways to inspire and encourage Believing prayer. Repeated commands. Ask, seek, knock. Repeated promises. It will be given. You will find. It will be open to you. And then an argument from the lesser to the greater. I want to close with three final applications of this great, great text. Number one. If you are here this morning and you are not saved If you're here this morning and you're not forgiven of your sins and you don't know Christ as your Lord and Savior, I want to plead with you 
to ask, seek, and knock. Let's start there, okay? Let's start there with application. Let's begin where we must begin with the best good gift of all, right? The goodest gift there is. Let's begin there because that's what he promises there in verse 11. You see how the whole pack, the whole verse is a, is a package. It's called an inclusio. The first word is ask and look how it ends. He will give what is good to those who what? Ask. It's called an inclusio. And there it is. He will give what is good. Well, the best good there is is salvation. The best good there is is Jesus Christ, right? Forgiveness of your sins and the gift of eternal life. And God says, you must what? Ask. You must ask. It doesn't happen by osmosis. It doesn't happen by going to church long enough. It doesn't happen because your spouse asked or your parents asked. You must ask. You must see your need for Christ. You must know yourself to be a sinner who needs forgiveness and is without eternal life. And you must go to the one and only place where it can come from. And it's Christ and Christ alone. And you must ask Him. I cannot ask Him for you. I cannot seek Christ for you. I cannot knock on that door for you. You must do it. And you will do it by God's grace when He's drawing you and calling you. And maybe that's happening right now. Maybe some of you children right now know yourself to be lost. You're sitting in here and you're hearing these sermons week after week. And you're hearing the gospel coming from this place week after week. And some of you children are sitting here going, I know, hey, I think he's talking to me right now. I'm feeling my sin. I'm feeling the burden of this, the weight of this. Well, Jesus stands before you right now and he says, young person, young boy, young girl, if you will ask me, I will take that burden off of you. If you will ask me, I will forgive you. If you will ask me, I will give you eternal life. This is where this text must be applied, where we must begin. You see, what needs to happen for the lost is God needs to go from being your judge to being your father. And this only happens when we put our faith in Christ. And God can then declare us righteous in his sight, forgive us of all of our sins, and adopt us into his family. And he goes from an angry judge on the cusp of sending us to an eternity of punishment to a God of love, a Father who is ready to lavish upon us every grace that we will ever need for all eternity. If you are not saved, ask, seek, and knock, and I promise you on the authority of the Word of God, you will find. Jesus is really echoing some words from the Old Testament here, and I want to read them to you. It's an echo here, really, of Deuteronomy 4.29, where Moses says to the Israelites, But from there you will seek the Lord your God, and you will find Him if you search for Him with all your heart and all your soul. You will find Him if you search for Him with all your heart and all your soul. This is really an echo of Proverbs 8.17. Where wisdom is personified and wisdom says, I love those who love me and those who diligently seek me will find me. This is an echo of Jeremiah 29. Here's God's promise to Israel after 70 years of exile in Babylon. And he made this promise to them to encourage believing prayer. He said, then you will call upon me. Listen to this. This is Jeremiah 29. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. 
I guarantee you Jesus is echoing these verses in our promises today. All right, second application of three. We need to marry this passage to the Lord's Prayer. All right, I said this is not the first time Jesus has talked about prayer in the Sermon on the Mount. He's already covered it some in the Lord's Prayer, better known as the Disciples' Prayer, right? The model prayer, the example prayer. We need to marry the Lord's Prayer to this passage and practice believing prayer with the Lord's Prayer. Especially the middle line of that, give us this day our daily bread. Give us this day our daily needs. Meet all the needs of myself, my life, my family, my church. So take this, uh, this attitude, this encouragement, this inspiration of this passage and marry it to the Lord's Prayer and pray, Oh, our what? Father who is in heaven. You see the similarities? Our Father who is in heaven. May your name be hallowed on earth as it is in heaven. May your kingdom be on earth as it is in heaven. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. God, I'm believing you and I believe the promises of the Bible that Jesus is coming back, that there will be a kingdom and I'm asking you for it. And I'm seeking it and I'm knocking on that door, right, continuously. But Lord, in the meantime, until that happens, give us this day our daily bread. Lord, until that happens, forgive us of our sins. And I believe that you do forgive sins when we confess them. And Lord, until that happens... Lead us not into temptation and deliver us from the evil. Help us in our spiritual warfare and our battles with Satan. Save us from Satan. And so I take all of those truths of that model prayer and I marry it to this passage and I practice continuous believing prayer on the things that matter, on the things that are near and dear to the heart of God. I hope you are praying for Jesus to return and I hope you're doing it in faith because I believe that's what God will stir up before the rapture ever happens. Yes, it's an imminent event. It can happen at any moment. But God usually proceeds about everything he does with prayer. May it be that the church of the, of the living God all over the world is praying for the return of Christ. Passionately, continuously, with faith. Third application. And this will bring us closer to home to the immediate preceding text. In the last two weeks, we've talked about not judging one another. And then we talked about last week not giving what is holy to dogs. And then comes this statement about prayer. You see it? Look at it in the context. So our third application is simply this. We need to ask God for wisdom to help our brother with the speck in his eye. We need to ask God for wisdom to help our brother or sister with the speck in his eye. Not judging them, but helping them. And we need to seek discernment from God regarding who are pigs and who are dogs, right? So this is very difficult. These are very challenging issues within the body of Christ and in our evangelism and in our missions. How do I know if this person I'm dealing with is an opponent of the gospel or just a mere unbeliever? How am I going to have that discernment? Well, I've got to ask God for it. I've got to seek it from the Lord. I've got to knock on his door and go into his office and ask him, How can I help my brother or sister? How can I discern this very difficult thing to discern? And when we do that, James 1, 5 kicks in. God promises to give wisdom to everyone who asks. And he gives it generously and without reproach. Generously and without reproach. So here's the conclusion. You want more believing prayer in your life. 
Do you want more believing prayer? Look how Jesus motivates us. He's not shaming us into it. He's not guilting us into it. He's not going to beat us down by how little we pray to get us to pray more. That doesn't work. That's only a temporary thing, right? That's not going to get it done. Instead, He reminds us. All right? He's not rebuking us here. He's reminding us. He's not showing us how far far, far we, we fall short. He's saying, look what's available to you. He's not driving us to prayer. He's drawing us to prayer. This great, great gift. It's all about being encouraged and being inspired. That's what Stephen Curtis Chapman tried to do in a song he wrote. I want to read you some of the lyrics called Let Us Pray. He says, I hear you say your heart is aching. You've got trouble in the making. And you ask if I'll be praying for you, please. And in keeping with convention, I say yes with good intention. To pray later, making mention of your needs. But since we have this moment here at heaven's door, we should start knocking now. What are we waiting for? Let us pray, let us pray. Everywhere and every way. Every moment of the day, it is the right time. For the Father above, He is listening with love and He wants to answer us. So let us pray. So when we feel the Spirit moving... Prompting, prodding, and behooving. There is no time to be losing. Let us pray. Let the Father hear us saying what we need to be conveying. Even while this song is playing. Let us pray. Let us pray. Let us pray. Everywhere. In every way. Every moment of the day. It is the right time. Let us pray without end. And when we finish, start again. Like breathing out and breathing in. Let us pray. Let us approach the throne of grace with confidence as our prayers draw us near to the one who knows our needs before we even call his name. Let us pray. Join me now. Take a moment now to pray. Take a moment now in application of this message in this text to bring your needs before your heavenly father. We're just going to have a time of petition, a time of supplication. Do you have challenges? Do you have trials? Do you have difficulties you're facing? Trouble in the making? Do you need to pray for healing for your marriage? Repentance for yourself and your role in your marriage? Do you know someone that's in a sour, broken, hurting relationship that you can pray for? Do you have sins this morning that you need to confess and you need forgiveness for? Is your conscience burdened? Are you carrying guilt? The Bible promises us that if we confess our sins, Jesus, God is faithful. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Do you feel dirty? Do you feel guilty? Do you... Do you need cleansing? Father, hear our prayers. Hear the cries of our hearts from the depths of our soul, Lord. And sometimes we can't even put words to it. We just groan. We just moan. We just cry out aches and, and syllables and painful groans asking you to intervene.
asking you to have mercy. Thank you for your word. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.